let's take a step back. If you're unhappy with the job that you're doing, you might take more vacation days, mm. more sick days. Mm. Your level of absenteeism might go up and you're not contributing to the work. So as much as through ineffective leadership, the organization is practicing evidence-based public health, staff are not motivated to carry out the work. Not because they don't like the work, but because the culture is toxic. Mm -hmm. And they don't see a way for it to change if the leader at the top of the pinnacle themselves are the ones holding things back. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Hi, everyone. My name is Gordon, your host for this episode, along with my fellow co-host, the one and only LaShawn Benedict. What's up? In this episode, we'll explore five more red flags to look out for when considering a career in the public health sector. Whether you're just starting out or an experienced professional, it is crucial to be aware of these red flags in order to make an informed decision about your future in this field. With expert insights and real-life examples, we'll take a deep dive into the biggest challenges facing the public health industry today and help you navigate this complex and ever-evolving landscape. Ready to navigate the ever-evolving landscape, LaShawn? Let's go. Let's get let's, into it. Let's, let's, let's navigate it. So we'll navigate first to the second set of red flags, going over to our next set. We talked a lot about some of the red flags that maybe are more easily identifiable. What about more of those hidden red flags that people may have to think a little bit extra carefully about? Mm-hmm. So one of the ones that is less seen mm. when considering public health red flags is the lack of attention to equity and inclusion oh, in the no. design and implementation of public health programs. So what does this mean? Mm. Okay. From organizational perspective, when you're working on projects, when you're planning projects, who is involved in the decision-making? Mm -hmm. Who is involved in the planning? Are the people who these interventions and programs are targeted to, are they involved in the process? Are the youth involved in the process? You have to make all these considerations or you're just perpetuating the inequalities that exist in this space. Yeah. And if you think about it a different way, diversity, equity, and inclusion, every type of work that we do in whatever industry has risks. Mm -hmm. So a project one of the risks of the project is discontinuation of funding. Obvious mm -hmm. one. Another risk of the project is tying to the funding lack of resources. So you might have the funding, not be able to have the right, resource or right resources around you to implement the project. But there's another type of risk. Mm -hmm. And that other type of risk is a lack of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Why is this a risk? You design a project 
or an intervention that is targeted to a vulnerable population or a priority population. It matters who plans a project. Mm -hmm. It matters who gave input in a project. And it matters that certain pe the people who the project is designed to benefit are involved in the earliest stages. Mm -hmm. So you can do an evidence-based project from start to finish and dot your I's, you cross your T's. And at the end of it, you bring it to the community and they said they did not ask, they didn't ask for that. Mm. So you would have spent a year or two of getting the funding, working on this, not to consult those communities and your project ends up in jeopardy. So that's why diversity and inclusion is a, a huge, huge component. Mm -hmm. What about another one? Let's get into other hidden red hidden flags. Line. The one there's, this is an interesting one because I'm sure even because a lot of times, right, LaShawn, people will have a job and before they go into public health, maybe they've worked in a different industry before they worked mm -hmm. in maybe healthcare, retail, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And to a large degree, cultures are transferable. So mm -hmm. you might experience a culture in one industry and it's a similar culture in public health. So that mm -hmm. the industry doesn't necessarily dictate what the culture is. What you'll find as a big red flag is when there's that culture of secrecy mm -hmm. in public health specifically secrecy is the antithesis of the work that we do mm -hmm. secrecy impairs employee morale mm. staff want to be included in decisions staff want to have a connection with decision makers and whoever they're reporting to and be involved in shaping the work that happens in the organization for the benefit of the communities that are being served. Secrecy also is a big frustration because you get an, a bit of an adversarial environment. Why are people keeping secrets? Is it in their benefit to keep the secret and is it at your detriment? Why, why is this happening? So these are some things that you have to navigate as part of culture of red flags around secrecy mm -hmm. and be very, very aware of that. And that ties into the lack of transparency, of course. Yeah, and it's just like as a professional in public health and in the workforce, you want you want there to be transparency in the processes that are governing you, whether it's even promotions. Why did so-and-so get a promotion over mm, me when I thought that I should true. have got that job? What was the process behind that? Was there, was there transparency in that? Do they so have the, to be transparent, though? Well, when it comes to the actual application and how people are evaluated what went behind that process of evaluation to right. determine you're basically saying like a merit-based system where people are promoted based on merit and not for other reasons merit and there's other reasons there's also you know diversity equity inclusion mm -hmm. considerations trying to make your environment more conducive to the work that's being done where the evaluation criteria is should be that should be transparent mm -hmm. is the bottom fair line fair enough what else you got for work, uh, a red flag as it relates to public health work? What sticks out to you? I would say something related but a bit distinct is mm. overall an unhealthy work-life balance and a toxic work environment. Ooh. Okay, so there's a lot to digest there. Mm. But one of the things that I think about is when your workplace requires you to always be available. So I'm, I'm wrapping up work at 5 o'clock and... Two hours later, when I'm ready to have a snack or dinner, 
I get a text message or an email saying, "Hey, we need you to do this by tomorrow." Mm. You know that you're not going to be able to finish this by 10 a.m. the next day, so that kind of puts you in a weird position to start working, even though you're not technically supposed to be working. So, sure, happening once, that's fine. But if this is a reoccurring phenomenon, and this is affecting other aspects of your life, you have to take some time to reflect on that. But However, the posting, the posting Lashan, it says ability to work evenings and weekends. So, should we not just get over it? Well, that's one thing. There are some some jobs that require you to always be on call and on、mm. the job and available. You might have your own cell phone, etc.、Mm. However, there is a balance here. Yeah, and in addition to work life balance,、uh, or this this stems from work life balance, is the idea of what is the culture around self care.、Mm, self care. Self care happens in a variety of ways. You might have mental health days that you can take off that the organization assigns to you, ability to use sick days for purposes that are maybe not even necessarily medically diagnosed, and just a culture of: Can you have an undisturbed lunch hour? Can you have an undisturbed break time where you're allocated to take a break?、Hmm. Is there a culture where? You're chastised for taking the time that you're legally allowed to take and that you're eligible to take.、Mm-hmm. That culture can make you feel very uncomfortable, and it can be a big source of stress if that's the environment that you're surrounding yourselves with. So, this is important because, in order for to cultivate a good team environment, your life can't only be about work. And even when you're at work, it is impossible to work eight hours straight without taking a break and full concentration. So, if your workplace validates everybody's reasonings for maybe taking a lunch at a certain time or breaks, that's a good sign that that's a place for you. However, if they don't, that is a big red flag.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What about another one, Gordon? What's one people don't really think about? One that people don't think about, and this is the one that might take a long time for you to see the trickle down effect, or you might see it immediately as soon as you start a job. And this one is perhaps the most pervasive and systemic one, and this is ineffective leadership.、Mm. When you have ineffective leadership at its core, everybody's walking on eggshells. No one's allowed to question decisions that are being made. Your values are not recognized. Public health is not prioritized in the way that it should be prioritized, and the work becomes something other than what it should be.、Hmm. And those types of mental gymnastics that you'd have to go through when you're in a toxic environment, when leadership, poor leadership, filters all the way down, that can be a very difficult sea of gray to navigate.、Hmm. So when we're talking about the sea of gray, what what do some of these program outcomes? How do they look? Are they are these employees in these organizations with ineffective leaders doing good work in public health, or are there other barriers in the way preventing them to do their best? I like your point, and I think it's always important to know that, from my perspective, when you talk about an organization, there is the people doing the work. And then the people that are being served, both are very important to the positive outcomes of interventions. 
Okay. It is important to have staff morale to get the best productivity, staff buy-in, and that in turn gets you the best quality interventions, the best positive attitudes for people doing the work, and the best return on investment, right? So when you're thinking about program outcomes, but let's take a step back. If you're unhappy with the job that you're doing, you might take more vacation days, Mm. more sick days, Mm. your level of absenteeism might go up, and you're not contributing to the work. So as much as through ineffective leadership, the organization is practicing evidence-based public health, staff are not motivated to carry out the work. Not mm-hmm. because they don't like the work, but because the culture is toxic. Mm-hmm. And they don't see a way for it to change if the leader at the top of the pinnacle themselves are the ones holding things back. Yeah, no, that's a very important point. I, mm-hmm. So it's that people management people piece of management, the puzzle. Right. At, yeah, there's an organization that I'm affiliated with, and it's our people, our voices, our services. Okay. Those, that's the vision. So our people can mean the clients as well as your staff. So it's important yeah. to make sure that we take care of the people working for us as well as the people who we're meant to be serving. I love that. Mm-hmm. What's the last one? We got five, and there's perhaps one that can be the most frustrating for public health because it's tied to different leaders coming in at different levels of government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was an interesting point just because mm-hmm. when I was starting public health, I used to say, hey, politics doesn't matter. I don't oh. care about politics. Boy, were you wrong. Whatever. <laughs> doesn't affect me. I'm going to do my work to the best of my ability. It's not necessary. However, politics shapes public health. Okay? Political interference can negatively impact public health initiatives and programming. And how does it do this? Well, politicians are oftentimes holding the purse for many of these public health interventions. Yeah. So if they decide when there's a change in government that, hey, public health doesn't need funding, cut, right? No more funding for your diabetes education prevention program or no funding for your youth mental health promotion programs and it gets cut. You don't have any more source of money and you're left scrambling as an organization to see if you could make different maneuvers and allocate monies to different areas to compensate for that. But at the end of the day, your central source for a given program may have been impacted beyond repair. And how do you, as a public health professional and organization, recover from something like that? If you're in an industry or an organization that is more prone to these types of things Mm. and that political interference, that could be very disheartening. Mm. And it ties back to that motivation Gordon Mm. was talking to. I would classify this one as a bit of an orange flag because it, is a, it, it comes with the territory. The red flag element of it is not everybody, like we just talked about, many people in public health do not have political science degrees or experience running campaigns for different elected officials and are maybe unfamiliar with how the world of politics works. But it undoubtedly shapes public health our role as public health professionals 
is to have a more bi-directional relationship between public health and politics. So as much as politics shapes public health, we have to work very hard for public health to shape politics. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. No, I think that's a fantastic way to put it. We often shy away from just talking about that aspect, but it's mm. so fundamentally important to different aspects of public health. And again, we're talking as well about the negative flag part of this or the red flag part of this is when that political interference becomes so, so influential Mm. that it dictates and perhaps compromises the Mm. evidence-based foundation as an organization. I like that. Very well said. All right. Well, that was it for today, folks. And the sixth red flag is... Just kidding. There's no more. All right. Who knows? Maybe we'll come back with more. But for now, that's it. This is LaShawn and Gordon signing off. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.